Okay. Welcome, everybody, to another amazing episode of Dojo Universe. How's it going out there in the world? Yeah, we got some snow. It's not Friday yet, much to our chagrin. Carl just got back from France. Hey, Carl, how was France? It was uh, quite exciting. It's a nice little uh, um, wall into Paris. Nice, nice city. Very, very cool. And uh, who knows? Uh, I, I didn't get to hear any bagpiping, but they, they have some good bagpiping in areas of France. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, um, Carl gave me like this salted caramel cookie, and then he said oh, I nice. could only have. Then he only let me have one of them. I was like, "Hey, can I have another one?" And he was like, "No." No, no. That 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 box was like ridiculously expensive from a very old um, bakery in France. I don't know, established in like eighteen sixty something, and. Uh, yeah, I, one of the ones I had in the shop was called Marie Antoinette. It's kind of, kind of ironic. Uh, I thought it was did you have um, Did you have your cookie and then eat one too? Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Is there Excellent. no cake they can eat? Anyway, <laughs> cookies was it a Marie sale, Antoinette yeah. cake? Was it a cake or was it a cookie? It was a macaroon. Is that – I don't even know what that is. That's what you ate. <laughs> Oh, so I do know what that is. I want yeah. more than one. <laughs> okay, so um, so folks, we have a bit of a short show today. Uh, Carl and I have got to wrap this up here, not too much after half past the hour. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk talk about some stuff efficiently here, and uh, um, be sure to type in and let us know your thoughts as we go here. But okay, so the topic for today's class is um, some guiding principles for improving your piping. So, so we, talk about, we talk about this in various uh, ways as we teach at Dojo U and as we go about selling products and stuff like that. But um, I thought we might get to the bottom line today and talk a little bit about some guiding principles that sort of point us in the direction of um, – uh, point us in the direction of improvement and getting better at bagpiping and stuff like that. Uh, and I think, uh, and I think the biggest one, uh, or you know, one of my biggest beliefs, which is really, I think, you know, I'm starting to realize it's why, it's why I, you know, started the dojo, and I think it's why um, Carl and I continue to do this. Is that you know, I think. The bottom line is that we really believe that subjectivity, okay, and the subjectivity, or in other words, not thinking about things rationally, is a big part of what can hinder bagpiping music making, you know, bagpipe music making, and um, it hinders progress, um, and it also, it also can make it a lot less fun if we get hung up on things that aren't necessarily true. And there's a lot of that that goes around. Yeah, I think that's a really key point there, Andrew, that you're pointing out is is that that sort of subjective playing can really, really make it unfun. And where you're going with this is that objective playing um, can really bring you 
a great deal of, of happiness. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's one of the big things. When we sit down, we talk about what we're trying to do as a business. I mean, you know, bagpiping has brought uh, a lot of opportunity and, and fun times and happiness to my life and, and yours too, Carl, presumably, I think. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do uh, is, is we're trying to scale that a little bit and we're trying to make sure everybody has the opportunities that we've had. Uh, but, yeah, so going back to the damage of, of subjectivity, um, is anyone out there in the audience um, along the same wavelength? Like what are some examples of, uh, you know, subjectivity and how it actually sort of gets in the way of what we're trying to do? Um, anybody? Like Nate or uh, Chance, you're out there. There's only one chance that I know. Any examples of subjectivity? Let's wait for people, but I can definitely give you one that comes to mind. How to manipulate a read and get a good sound. Uh, okay, I'm not sure what you mean there, Nate. And unfortunately, it's not necessarily the greatest example either because that's one of the areas where I still don't feel like I have the most objective approach to that. You know, it's a lot of it is just trial and error there. A lot of subjectivity in the methods. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Nate, although it's not the greatest example for me just because, um, you know, I haven't fully, I haven't, you know, it's there's so much science involved there that, I haven't fully developed my own 100% objective way to, to do read stuff, although I do have a lot of experience there. Carl, what is some of the stuff you were thinking of? Mine was, uh, I, can, I can think back to several um, lessons I've had in the past, mostly five or ten years ago, where I was just getting into PBROC and working with instructors on how is it supposed to sound, and I remember going back and forth and just not – and same with with two four marches, for the record. Um, going back and forth is like not understanding why things are supposed to be the way they are. Um, and and they're like, no, 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 that's wrong. Play it like this. And then they would play it, and it would sound the same to me. And it just back and forth. And, and, and because there was no really description of what – we were supposed to be doing how to approach the music um that was just really frustrating for me because I, I couldn't understand what was going on yeah absolutely yep sam says how to cut a note that's a great example and of course you know alap asap is one of our flagship fundamentals that uh that i developed um on, on my own it's sort of a translation right and, and it doesn't here's the thing is what we're doing, at least um, to this point, it doesn't contradict anything that you might learn from uh, from someone who uh, is uh, presenting things from a subjective point of view. ALAP ASAP is one of you know uh, one of our big big things that we've done really well, which is okay. Let's define exactly how we're supposed to approach a dot and a cut. Okay, let's let's look at it objectively. And then once we can learn that, once we understand the fundamental rules behind it, 
Now we can develop consistency in our playing. Uh, now we can we can change style more easily. We also can evaluate other players. Uh, the example I gave in class the other day was, uh, and this is a general statement, but generally speaking, someone like Angus McCall uh, has a much uh, more concise ASAP. It's very, very short, very tidy, relative to maybe a player like Jack Lee who goes for a lot more softness. But I can talk about that. I can think about that, and I can also change my own playing in one way or the other because I have ALAP ASAP as a way to talk about things. Um, so that's great. Sam says, or sorry, Gary says, sorry, I was thinking of Sam still, uh, too many bagpipe instructors are basing their teaching and teaching goals on how they learned uh, and not what the student needs. That's true, and I think, you know, one of the big things is um, I don't believe that I don't believe that duplicating what someone else did, this is my own personal belief, I don't believe that duplicating, otherwise known as plagiarizing, exactly what someone else did, um, I don't think that's art artistic, and I don't think uh, it's going to make me happy and fulfilled in my life. Um, it, you know, and, and we know this is true. The great analogy for me is if I go to... Uh, if I go to college and I read a paper that really inspires me and I just memorize it and then rewrite it out and submit that to my professor, right, that's obviously not a very good thing. As a matter of fact, if I memorized it perfectly, I would be expelled from school uh, because it would be easily identifiable that that work was plagiarized. It was copied, right? So um, now needless to say, a great paper that I read with a great argument is going to heavily influence how I think about things, right? And that influence might play a huge role in the paper I'm going to write, okay? But to actually duplicate that idea is, of course, not good. It's not unique. Uh, it doesn't really help anything. And this is one of the big arguments. I have conversations like this um, with a lot of talented pipers um, and, um, you know, people that I meet. It's like, okay, well, that's interesting, but... You know, how do you explain, like, or why do you do it this way? You know, besides the fact that it's just exactly how you've heard someone else do it. You know, why do you do it this way? Why don't you try doing it this way? Do you actually have the control to change the way that you're doing it and to tweak how you approach it? Um, you know, these questions are all very interesting. And I think that's where objectivity is so, so crucial and so important. And I think it's really lacking in the bagpipe world. Um, let's see. Let's see what Nate says. He says, we may be left much to our own determination on how to play 2-4 March because we don't have a lot of teachers with overriding philosophies behind music to drive the decisions. That's definitely true. Definitely true, Nate, right? And, um, and there's an overarching culture that exists where, uh, where good 2-4 March playing is, um, is extracted and, and uh, attempted to pass down. Um, hang on one second. I'm getting a ringing in my ears. All right. Unfortunately, that phone call will have to wait. Um, okay. Where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. Here's the other thing, too, which I said the other day in class, which I wanted to repeat again, which is here's the irony is so many of us are trying to duplicate what the great pipers are doing. But what is it that makes the great pipers great? 
isn't it their own unique voice that they're bringing to the table and their own set of amazing skills? Um, you know, for example, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah, is is the fact that Stuart Little is uh, is amazing, right? Stuart Little is an amazing player. Is he amazing because his fingers wiggle really fast, or is he amazing because of his entire overarching style that that he's you know so clearly different than than somebody else? Carl, you look like you're going to say something. Just laughing at your example there. It's yeah, very uh, it's all very interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting, right? And I think I think a lot of us are like, man, all I all I want to do is duplicate my teacher, or a lot of teachers even are like, this is how I learned it, and then therefore this is all my student has to do. Um, and anyway, uh, let's wrap up this this one point, uh, and just saying that you know for us uh, taking the objective approach, um, developing fundamentals. Okay, okay, we, we don't like crossing noises. Okay, but can we be more specific about what actually causes a crossing noise? Uh, can we get down into the nitty-gritty, and can we actually understand what we need to do to avoid it? It's going to help us learn to hear crossing noises of our own. It's going to help us evaluate other players. It's going to help us find spots in the music where we're likely to have crossing noise problems. Right? Same goes for basic rhythm. On through grace notes. Okay, grace notes, little chirpy sounds, right? I know how it sounds my teacher plays a grace note. Okay, but let's define exactly what a grace note is. Embellishments are a huge area where very few people have any sort of idea what's going on, right? We just, we just duplicate, which, by the way, it doesn't mean you can't create good music. It just means there's a, there's a specific place where you're not going to be able to move forward and explore other things. It's an opportunity for improvement and, and yeah. greater control over what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's a question. Here's a question I'll put out there. Um, how many grace notes are in a D throw? How many grace notes in a D throw? Nate says one. Tom says two. John says none. Sam says one. Any other takers? Anyone else want to weigh in on this? John says one. Good, yeah. So good. It sounds like we've got a lot of Dojo U.S. people that are thinking along the way, but it certainly looks like there's three, doesn't there? When we look at a dethrone on the page, we've got three little grace notey things. But there's really only one grace note in there. Uh, because if we look objectively at a D throw, what do we have? We have a low G, D grace note to C, up to D. And by the way, if you play a heavy D throw, the answer is the same. It's low G, D grace note on low G, then play C, then play D. So even though it looks like embellishments are made up of a bunch of grace notes, in many cases, it's just actually a bunch of melody notes that are articulated with grace notes. It's just an example of, um, you know, most people just think, oh, D-throw, this is how I wiggle my fingers. Uh, and then we kind of hope for the best and we move on. Uh, and then we talked about ALAP, ASAP. And then we even talked, uh, we've talked in the past at Dojo U about pulsing, which is the way that we explain how phrasing and uh, bigger picture expression works.
Tom calls them chirpy notes and squishy notes. Okay, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if squishy is a quality that I want, but um, but hey, if it works, it works. All right. So um, anyway, uh, so there you go. Let's let's uh, move forward. Here's the next thing. Here's the next thing that I was thinking about, and it's one of the things that a lot of my students are at the stage where we're we're trying to really get them to uh, tune their pipes and and to to take tuning to the next level. They've memorized the motions, right? They've memorized the motions. They uh, they know how to turn off their drones and and they know how to do the blow trick to get this one pretty close to in tune. Okay, but uh, we're really trying to get them to listen closer. Because here's the big thing is they go through the motions and they're like, all right, does that sound in tune? And they're like, I don't know, I think so. And one of the big things that I, that, that governs how I approach tuning, okay, and again, it's an objective sort of thing, but, but there is no final destination. There's no such thing as tuning your bagpipe, okay? All there is is getting it closer to being in tune. Tuning is sort of like the infinite, right? We can always count one number higher than the number we're on right now. Uh, the infinite is a concept. It's a concept of, you know, uh, you know, the final number somewhere out there in space. And tuning is very much the same way. A lot of people think of tuning as being a destination, but if, if we cannot think about it that way, there's always something I can do uh, to improve my tuning. Um, that is what's going to lead us to um, getting a really great sounding bagpipe. Okay? Is understanding that there's always a little bit closer we can get it, and that makes it infuriating. Uh, it makes it fascinating, uh, but really, that's that's what's going to develop our ear. A lot of people are stressed out about their ear and how they just don't have it. Well, you do have it, okay. And at first, you might just be able to distinguish what sounds really bad versus what sounds kind of okay, right? That's step one, is get your drones pretty okay sounding. And then step two is, okay, well, I'm tired of just getting them pretty okay. Can we go from pretty okay to, hey, that's not bad, you know? And then uh, from there, can we go from, hey, that's not bad to, wow, that sounded really quite nice. And then expert pipers are to the point where, yeah, the average listener probably won't be able to detect any tuning discrepancies. Um, so there you go. Uh, Gary says, as long as you can offer something tangible, I can learn it. Here's a quotation. Okay, this is getting deep. Uh, I keep six honest serving men. They thought me all I knew. Their names were what and why and when and how and where and who. Yeah, Richard Kipling, man. He's over my head. Maybe smart people understand that. Richard Kipling is like Dr. Seuss for smart people. So, Gary, can you translate for, for us uh, simple-minded folk? Uh, Ashby says, if you've already, uh, when you are tuning a tenor drone to your chanter, how does the blowing trick work? Hey, Ashby, uh, I'm not going to answer that today because um, we have to keep things a little bit shorter today. 
But um, if you sign in tomorrow, Ashby, we'll, we'll go through it again during the Open Dojo session. Um, Ashby is, of course, a regular at the 7.30 a.m. class, so we should be able to do that for you. Okay, so, so that's just a, just a thought about tuning. Uh, I thought about tuning, and it applies to so many things in piping, even something like crossing noises, right? It's really hard to play a perfect note change. There's always a little bit of crossover, right? So it's really hard to go from D to E without some sort of crossing noise, right? So obviously we can avoid the, the big heavy lift drop one, but there's still the phantom crossing noise. And for those who don't know what that is, uh, that's another Dojo U fundamental idea, which we won't talk about too much today. But basically, it's just the inverse. When we switch notes and this E comes up before these guys return down, we get a little bit of a mushy sound. Now, it's, it would be extremely difficult to actually have a perfect note change, wouldn't it? Uh, like somewhere along the line, there's a little false fingering on the way to that note. Okay, and the same goes for any, uh, any note change. So there's always slight imperfections there. So how good can your note changes be? That's the question. Not whether or not they're perfect. Gary says, tell me what you want, why I need to do it, when it needs to be done. Man, I wish all my employees had that uh, attitude. Or people in the band, or even my students. All right, Gary, I'm, I'm going to get, get my rigid Kipling out. Okay, William is a martial arts trainer, which is awesome. Uh, our approach to this is similar. We learn from senseis that carried on what they learned from their teachers. They suffer from the conflict of artist, artistic expression muffled by regimented training practices. We should agree to disagree when it comes to certain areas of our tune genres. We should honor certain tradition in the great music, he's referring to Pibrock, but have a little brevity in our light music. It will only level out when our culture changes and has a consensus on these, this ideology. See, uh, William, I, I don't think we need to agree to disagree. Right? I think we just need to agree that different styles are obviously the point of what we're doing. I think the tragedy is, uh, is that people try, are trying to develop a consensus about P-Rock in particular and about exactly how we should go about playing MSR music. Okay, so um, I think that we don't need to agree to disagree. I think we just need to uh, welcome different styles. Now, th there's a difference between style and crap, right? I, I teach my students that as well. You know, um, so there's a difference between style and crap. There's a difference between someone who has true control over the bagpipe and chooses to mold their music in a certain direction. That's known as style. And then there's someone who doesn't have control and disguises their lack of control by calling it style, and that's crap, right? And there's a very big difference, and it's not always easy to detect. Uh, but uh, easy to yes. detect when you ask them to change something. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's where I challenge a lot of I, I, I've, um, 
you know, I meet a lot of really talented up-and-coming players. Um, and like the 90-year-old chapter in the 30-year-old's body that I am, uh, I say, well, okay, why do you choose to play it that way? Why don't you slow it down a little bit and put a little bit more pulse here and maybe try that a little bit and see if you like that? Well, of course, that's not in the wheelhouse. Um, that's not something that can be controlled. Um, and, so, and so they're missing out on an infinite number of possibilities. Now, in martial arts, right, the, the way to tell style from crap is, um, can you beat the crap out of the guy or not, right? If they truly have style, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm a really bad joke. Sorry for those who enjoy martial arts. But, but in, uh, in more seriousness, right, you know, someone with, someone with true control, I think, will be able to defend themselves successfully against an opponent, regardless of, that, uh, of what variations the opponent might put in their style. So this is a little bit like the difference between crane or bird style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the interesting if you're good, you can defend against any of it. And the interesting thing is, right, if you're actually in a hand-to-hand fight to the death, right, um, you, the difference in style is going to be your advantage. It's going to be what allows you to survive is, is your true control over your style and your ability to adjust your style. Right? However, in bagpipe competition, if you don't have the exact style that the judge expects you to have, that can be your undoing, right? There's, there's, there's a, contra- a seeming contradiction in there somewhere. Gary says, as long as you don't meet a Kiwi. Do they fight dirty or something? Okay, William, going back to William's more serious, uh, less, uh, you know, destroyed point here. Uh, my meaning is that some folks are always going to be hardliners and unwilling to accept other approaches. And that's bad. And that's what you mean by agree to disagree. Yeah. Cool. I think, I think we're saying the same thing, William, which is I think we need to, especially when it comes to art and music. And the, remember, the reason why we do this is to enjoy making music and enjoy expressing ourselves uh, at least that should be the reason that you do it, or at least that's the reason I do it, and that's the reason most of our customers do it, I think, which is why they found the, their way to us, right, is we want to we want to do our own thing. And that can be heavily influenced by schools of bagpiping thought. For example, I play, the way that I play sounds a lot like the establishment sounds. A lot, Right. There's very little difference in how I'm going to play an MSR from how uh, someone else in the establishment is going to play one, right? It's just I, I've chosen to play that way based on my, A, desire to win, uh, and B, I think the way that people play MSRs is really cool and really musical. But I want to have true control over that, right? If I, if I, you know, if I want to change my style or if, or if I need to change my style, I want to be able to do that. For example... Is there a difference between how pipe bands played MSRs 20 years ago and how they play them today? It's huge, enormous difference, right? Meanwhile, I could easily play in either style with very with I, I need to prepare a little bit, but with relatively small amounts of work because I understand the components that make it up. Sam says, "What is an MSR?" Great question, Sam. That's a march, a strathspey, and a reel. 
put together into one set. And that's a very common competitive set. So when pipe bands compete, um, one of the major events that they'll compete in is the MSR. Um, and it's sort of like a great technical, a technical uh, event. And then in pipe bands, they'll also have a medley competition where, where they have groups of tunes, uh, where they can sort of choose their own, choose their own path. William provocatively says the McCrimmon's dojo training was different from the Mackay style. Ooh, that's uh, that's heavy duty stuff there. The real question is. How, you know, how influential were the McCrimmons? You know, there's, there's research that would point to the idea that the MacArthur's were far more influential uh, than the McCrimmons were. But that's a story for a whole other dojo you, and would require someone with a whole lot more, having done a whole lot more research than I have. Okay. We only have a few more minutes we can spend here today, unfortunately, because we have to do a short show. Any last questions or provocative thoughts before we wrap it up for today? All right. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in uh, to our uh, somewhat brief show this week. We'll be back next week with the full hour, uh, and we will, of course, post this at podcast dojouniversity.com so people can listen later. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the Wednesday. And at least where we are, it looks like the weather will get better uh, over the weekend, so it should be good. Glad to hear it, Sam. We're super glad to have you, and um, I, I think you'll have a, a really good time with it. Cool. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.